And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Carson Sack Podcast. I want to thank you all for tuning in. It is greatly appreciated. On this week's sack, we have the return of the mail sack. We have some college football talk. Um, it's championship week in college football, so that's always an exciting weekend. We have NFL talk and we have a little bit of college basketball talk coming to you this week it's sure to be a dandy a doozy if you will of an episode so sit back relax before we get into everything i do have to do what i always do like rate review subscribe all that other good stuff on itunes or wherever you get your podcast from it helps me out a lot More than you could quite possibly ever know. So thank you all for doing that. Um, If you haven't, please do so. Let's get right into this week's episode, episode 66 of Carson Sack Podcast with the Mail Sack. First off, um, shout out to my man Jay-Z. Want to thank him for finally putting all his music onto Spotify, or back onto Spotify and out of the black hole that was Tidal. I use a Jay-Z instrumental for my undertone song in my intro. I've been doing that for four years now. So thank you to Mr. Sean Carter for putting his music back onto Spotify for everyone pretty much to hear. So thank you for that. Now let's get into this week's mail sack. This week's mail sack opens up with a question from my former roommate, Eli George, who asked, are the Steelers frauds? Eli, I don't think they are anywhere near being frauds. I think what they've done this year with no Antonio Brown, no Le'Veon Bell, You lose Ben Roethlisberger early on in the year. You have Mason Rudolph who comes in and shows he's okay, but not really an NFL quarterback. You have Juju Smith-Schuster injury the past couple weeks with his knee and a concussion. You have Devlin Hodges, who third-string quarterback coming into the year, comes in, wins a game on the road um, in L.A. against the Chargers, comes in this past week, gets a huge win against the talented but dysfunctional Browns team to keep their spot in the wild card. Um, the job Mike Tomlin has done this year is incredible. Needs to be in the discussion for Coach of the Year. I get sitting at 7-5, and five, that record you wouldn't really associate a 7-5 and five head coach with a Coach of the Year, but given the circumstances and what they have done, with so little, and the front office making the trade for Minka Fitzpatrick, giving away their first-round pick, which at the time they did it looked like it was going to be a 
pretty high first round pick. But ever since Minka came over in the trade from Miami, he's balled out and been a ball hawk, um, intercepting, recovering fumbles, things like that. That defense is looking to be the strong suit of that team again, which it was back in the middle to late 2000s when it was going to Super Bowls. Um, Bud Dupree and JJ Watt, not JJ, TJ Watt are could be, if not the best, um, edge rushing linebacker duo in the NFL, which is extremely something to be excited about. Joe Hayden last week against his former team looked good, sealing the win with that interception. He's playing um, with a rejuvenated spirit. Minka Fitzpatrick, as I said as well, comes over and has looked good. Cameron Hayward down on the defensive line has been just a model of consistency for so many years. Um, And then even with the distraction, that was the Mason Rudolph-Miles Garrett situation three or four weeks back. Um, The way Pittsburgh went out on the field and responded, I don't think... Pittsburgh Steelers and frauds should be anywhere near each other in the same sentence whatsoever. Um, There's not a chance in hell that the Steelers are frauds this year. The next question comes from Jack Muldoon, who asked, On a scale of 1 to 10, how pissed would you be if Patrick didn't invite you to his wedding? First off, congratulations to Pat and, uh, what's her name, Maggie? Or Maggie's. I don't know. She can't remember my name, so why should I remember hers? I am kidding. Okay, let's get that out of the way. Um, congratulations to Pat Muldoon and Molly O'Rourke for getting engaged um, either last weekend or two weeks ago. That's a huge, um, exciting thing. Happy for him. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how mad would I be? Probably like a, right now, a 6 or 7. Pat and I have come closer over this summer and a bit of the fall golfed a lot this summer, um, went on a road trip, got to meet his extended family. I, I, I wouldn't be heartbroken because I get, we've only, I'd say been friends for about five, six months, really known each other for a lot longer. Been a fan of Pat Muldoon for many a year. Have always said Pat is cooler. Hashtag Pat is cooler. I've said that on many an Instagram post by Jack Muldoon. Um, so a six or seven right now. But if obviously I don't know the date when this is going to happen, I'm assuming probably sometime next year or maybe early 2021. I don't know. I'm not helping plan the wedding. But uh, if we were to continue down this same friendship path and um, – went to a couple games together, something like that next year, and continued to play golf just about on a weekly basis, and I didn't get an invite, that number would probably shoot up a little bit to like a 8 to 10 range. But right now, we're sitting at a 6 to 7. I'm not going to be heartbroken. I understand there's a guest limit, all this stuff. Um, Whatever, it's in your all's court. Whatever Ball is in your court. Whatever you want to do, Pat and Molly, not Maggie. Just remember my name. Please, Molly, do better. The next question comes from one of our generous supporters. Always gets involved in the podcast. Um, Kennedy Poston, who asks, thoughts on Louisville being number one? Um, sure, I really don't care. I, good for them. Happy for them. It's pretty annoying hearing about it. Like, after the UK... U of L football game. That's where all of the Louisville fans' attention shifted was to being ranked number one in basketball, 
which Kentucky fans are supposed to be the ones that uh, are all about basketball, but whatever. They're a good team. They, I think they are one of the better, deeper, more complete teams in a year of college basketball that is down. There's not one great team. Louisville, I think, is in that upper echelon of teams that are deep. Um, there's a good mix of talent between underclassmen and upperclassmen, and that is going to make a recipe for success for Louisville this year, um, already being ranked number one in the college basketball rankings. I'm not taking anything away from them. They are what they are. They're a good team. Um, I don't know how long they're going to be able to keep that. They have, obviously, coming up, they had they have Kentucky, December 28th, and then they hit a pretty difficult ACC schedule. So they're going to be in the top 10, I think, all year. I think that's a given. I'd be shocked if they fell out of that, but staying at number one is going to be difficult for them um, given what their schedule is going to be going forward, but happy for them right now to be ranked number one. Moving, okay, also I need to get this out of the way. These questions that I just answered were on Instagram, and after those I got one, two, three, four, five, six on my Instagram story with an answer like, hey, ask me questions, blah, blah, blah. And I got answers, hi, Carson Karras, with the, like, blood emoji sitting out of the syringe. Hi, Carson Karras, with the, like, smiley hands thing. Hi, I could, Karras, my Instagram name, with the, like, okay emoji. Then a nice profile, and then a hi, Carson Karras, with two dudes standing next to each other, and a what's up with a girl emoji. Stop spamming my freaking Instagram profile. That goes to Art WGFX, DJ Jimmy Rock, Ronnie Tanius, Gloss Boz Food, Pat Ming, and Tyler Cast. Stop spamming my freaking Instagram. I don't appreciate it whatsoever. Now we move on to some more questions. Um, next question comes from Molly Roos, who is quietly becoming a mainstay on the mail sack. She asks, hot dog or bratwurst? Okay, here we go. I think it is way more easier at home. I mean, it is probably pretty easy to make a bratwurst too. But convenience-wise, I think hot dogs at home are just super easy. But at a ball game and whatnot, if I can get a bratwurst and they can load it up with some peppers, some onions, a little spicy mustard maybe, ooh-wee. So preferably I would rather have a bratwurst than a hot dog, but I get the convenience and the easiness of a hot dog. So in that retrospect, just convenience, I would take hot dog. But overall, if there was no limitations or anything like that, I am 100% going with a bratwurst. Okay. The next question, the next set of questions comes from Polly Marino all the way out from LA, and also I want to give Polly Marino a huge shout out. She is representing and playing on the first team from the United States that is going to Budapest to play in the Tech Ball World Cup. Tech Ball, she told me, I uh, 
admittedly had no idea what the hell tech ball is, but tech ball is a combination of soccer and table tennis. And the table itself looks like a ping pong table, but it like curves down at the end. So it's the table and then imagines how the edges of the regular table are just straight up and down and they're square. These are like sphered off and curved at the end. It's pretty unique and interesting to see that. Um, looked at a couple YouTube videos about it. It looks entertaining enough. I don't have the schedule or anything like that. Polly has been posting about it and talked to me about it and said she was going to get the information for when she does play out there because they haven't drawn times or matchups or anything like that yet. So Polly right now is on her way to Budapest to play in this. So a huge shout out and a congratulations to one of my good friends. Um, super exciting to be able to say you were one of the first to represent your country in just about anything, let alone a World Cup for a exciting new sport. So my hats, I don't, I'm not wearing a hat, but if I did, it's off to Polly. My hat is already off to Polly, and I wish her nothing but the best in this tournament. And God forbid she gets hot and goes on to become a tech ball phenomenon. Boy, wouldn't that be something. But Polly, here we go. Here are your questions. What do you think of Duke losing? She is talking about the Stephen F. Austin loss that happened last week, not talking about the Michigan State game that happened last night where Duke rolled. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But Duke um, was without one of their freshmen, Stanley, I believe. And it's happened now to UK. It's happened to Duke now. Again, good teams, not great teams. I think a great team... Um, if Kentucky was one or if Duke was one, would have won those games. Stephen F. Austin made a little bit of a run a couple years ago in the NCAA tournament. So they're, I, honest, I understand it's not the same players, but it's a program that has shown they can compete um, different years with bigger, better schools than them. So um, I think Duke, it was the week before Thanksgiving, I think their players were just ready to get the hell out of there, go home, and they overlooked Stephen F. Austin. And Stephen F. Austin, that Duke game for them was probably one of the biggest games on the schedule, so they go into Cameron Indoor Stadium and end up getting the victory. Next, she asked, Do you think college basketball players get more ass when they win or lose a big game? Uh, I don't know, Polly. How much ass did you get when you lost a soccer game? Uh, at Bellarmine, and then how much ass did you get when you won? It's probably way more when you win and way less when you lose. Um, what do you think of the Tech Ball World Cup this weekend? Polly already talked about it. And then she asked, will you watch it? Yeah, Polly, I'll probably watch it um, when you give us the information. She continues to ask, who's the funniest pro athlete and why? I think it's not underrated or unknown, but uh, a guy that is pretty funny and just seems like a generally good guy is Blake Griffin. He does stand up occasionally. Um, from what I've heard and seen, he's not bad at it. Pretty good. Um, I like his personality. He seems like a good guy. So right now, for me, the funniest pro athlete would probably be Blake Griffin just because he actually does stand up. It's pretty good when he does do it, and he seems like... He's a naturally funny, not trying too hard guy. And then Polly asks, what is your all-time favorite sports memory ever? 
Um, probably Ohio State winning the national championship in 2014 um, against Oregon in football for the first college football playoff. The the tension I had and how invested I was was extremely nerve-wracking because it felt like this was a make-or-break game. Like I felt like I was so invested, and for it to pay off with a national championship with a win was uh, super exciting. I'm going to be heading down that road here pretty soon, more than likely, if Ohio State does wind up more than likely in the college football playoff, which it looks like it's going to. I'm going to be super invested in, hopefully, uh, both of the games they get to play there. So that would be my um, favorite all-time sports memory ever. My other one would be the soccer game of Polly's I went to in high school. Um, That was really fun. Wink, wink. The next question comes from Jillio, who also another former uh, Bellarmine soccer athlete. Want to give him and the rest of the BU men's soccer team a uh, congratulatory. I know it's a little late, but won their conference this year. Had one of the better, if not the best. I'm not 100% sure, so I don't want to offend anyone. So I'm going to say one of the better um, seasons that Bellarmine men's soccer has ever had so congratulations to you all uh Bajilio asked what do you think UofL's biggest strength and biggest weakness is this season I'm he's talking about basketball I think the biggest strength is I think Jordan Ora coming back and him developing is a huge strength and I like everyone else that they have returned and I like the depth that they have at pretty much every position and then he asked his biggest weakness this season for UofL I think it's point guard play um they have Kimball that came over that has looked kind of shaky so far um they have David Johnson, the freshman from Trinity, that was hurt this summer, that was pegged to be an integral part of running the offense and being the point guard, but he that's just delayed a little bit right now because of his injury this past summer. But I think the weakness there with that um, being the point guard can and probably will work itself out as the team gets more experience playing together in actual games. And then he asks, what do you think Mac has added or changed about the program since he has been here? I think that Mac has changed. This is such like a bullshit, like cliche thing, but like the culture. And I know, as I said, that's a bullshit answer. But if you look at what Mac came into, um, after all of the sanctions and Rick Pitino leaving and the Katina Powell stuff and them self-imposing bans and all this other stuff and really not getting recruits and losing out to now where Matt comes in and they're competitive in games, which I say competitive in games and this game against Michigan is probably Mac's second best win after the North Carolina game last year um, at North Carolina. But they're competitive. They're mentioned at the top of the country for best teams. Um, Atop of the ACC, they're looking to be contenders there. Um, So I think that's really what Chris Mack has changed and brought about the program is the culture. And on the recruiting, there are certain prospects that he's missed out on um, to other schools and whatnot. But he's recruiting and at least trying with the upper echelon recruits which Rick Pitino at times near the end of his career 
wouldn't be consistently getting. He'd hit one here or there, but he would sort of take guys with lesser stars or a little under the radar and mold them and make them better players, but they'd be four-year players, three-years players, which is fine when you get all their potential out of them. But looking at Chris Mack now, I think the culture and then the ability to recruit and at least be in the conversation and be competitive with top guys, which Mac has shown already in two years with the Super 6. And then I know the 2020 class isn't fully done or formed yet or anything like that, and there's still time. And he's missed out on a couple, but he's still probably going to get a top 10, top 15 class, which is going to be good for the future of the program. So I think that answers all your questions there, Julio. And then the last question comes from Christina Barone. This is so, Tina, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed, and I told you that already. But she asks, how much wood could a woodchuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Um, That's very childish. You are better than that. I know you're better than that. The people that have listened to you um, ask questions on this podcast before know you're better than that. Um, I don't know how much wood, a wood, all that answer, whatever. I'm not saying it again. Probably a shit ton. That's how much he would chuck. Um, if you want to come back in two weeks with some better questions, Tina, I know I and probably the listeners would really appreciate that. That concludes this week's ep- episode segment for the Mail Sack. Mail Sack will be back in two weeks, so get your questions ready there. Keep your eyes peeled on Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter for when I put out my posts about sending in questions. As always, I greatly appreciate everyone that sent things in. Um, it means a lot, and it helps the show out a shit ton. Now, I want to talk a little bit about games that happened this past week in college football. And I'm going to start right off the bat with the game. Ohio State, number one in the country, went to number twelve, number 13 in the country, Michigan. Um, Ohio State was able to get the win. The game started off pretty tight, and I thought that's what was going to happen. I was really hoping for a better, faster start for Ohio State. Um, they Both teams traded scores, their first and third possession. And then things started to tighten up, and Ohio State started to pull away. And I think Jim Harbaugh going for that field goal at the end of the first half really was kind of like... the it, it wasn't waving the white flag because there was a whole other half to play, but how do you... I don't get how you rationalize that. Like, yeah, okay, yes, you need the points, but I think you need seven more than you need three in that situation. And it really just kind of... Speaks, I guess, to the confidence Harbaugh had in his offense to pick up. I don't, I don't remember the exact yardage, but I think it was less than six. It might have been four yards to pick up for his offense and have the potential to get into the end zone. Um, and then after that, and the adjustments that Ohio State made at halftime on defense, because Michigan's offense was playing pretty good all year, um, announcer wise. For Ohio State games, I've heard that the seam is what is going to hurt Ohio State with the new defense that they've adopted and the new defense that has done extremely well this year was the big issue of concern was getting players in the seam and connecting with them, which Michigan did a good amount, and it was hurting Ohio State. But at halftime, they were able to make the adjustments that were needed. Uh, I think Shea Patterson completed only four passes along those lines in the second half, which was incredible. On the day, Justin Fields threw for 302 yards, 
four touchdowns. Um, the big story that is getting so overlooked is J.K. Dobbins, 211 yards and four touchdowns. His performance in this game isn't getting overlooked, but his Heisman candidacy, that's getting overlooked. I think he deserves to be in New York more than I think Justin Fields does. Um, that's just me personally. I think Chase Young should be there as well. Um, I know they're really pushing for those three guys to get there and everything like that. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Chase Young more than likely is going to get sent there because he has been so dominant throughout the year. But I don't think Dobbins or Fields is going to get there. But both of those guys putting up four touchdowns each, extremely impressive. And back-to-back years, an Ohio State freshman receiver has come and made a name for himself and really announced, hey, I'm... I'm fucking here. I'm really good. You need to pay attention to me. Last year it was Chris Olave. This year it's Garrett Wilson. Only on three catches, Wilson puts up a 118-yard, one-touchdown stat line. Um, it's just become so... So, ju- this rival It's not even a rivalry anymore. It's an important game. Yes, it's the game. Um, but... And yes, I get ner- like I get nervous because it's a rivalry game, and you don't want to lose this game. You could lose every other game, but if you win this game, okay, great. Like you beat Michigan. Obviously, that would be a shitty season, but you would beat Michigan. Um, you cannot lose this game. And fourteen out of the last fifteen years, it's been Ohio State. Um, I think I believe the last time. I know the last time Ohio State lost was that year after Trell Pryor and a couple of those guys got busted for the tattoo memorabilia stuff. That's a whole nother thing I don't even want to get into and talk about. But when Braxton Miller was filling in freshman quarterback at Michigan, Luke Fickle was not the Luke Fickle he is now at Cincinnati. And they lose that game and they had a chance. Uh, Braxton made a ill-advised deep throw late in the game that was intercepted that caused the loss, but um, that was the last time Michigan beat Ohio State, and they were Ohio State was six and five on the year. And yeah, there's been close games, but the gap just continues to widen the last couple years. Um, it shows up recruiting, it shows which in turn shows up on the field. And from everything I've seen, it really just seems like Ohio State treats this game different than every other game, and Michigan just treats it like another game, and that you can't do that. If Ohio State is going to put so much importance on this game, Michigan needs to match that importance or it's going to continue to be this turnout and Ohio State's going to continue its winning streak. Um, Harbaugh now moves to 0-5 against the Buckeyes. And Jim, I will go out and say it. The Jim Harbaugh experience has been a... Dis- I don't want to say disaster. It's been a failure so far. I'm not saying things can't turn around. He has the resources, obviously, at Michigan. But you go 0-5 against Ohio State. You haven't played in the Big Ten championship game once since he came to town. He's not had an NFL quarterback. He hasn't had a quarterback drafted to the NFL or really be a contributor in the NFL at all. And he's been the quarterback whisperer. You saw that at Stanford. 
You saw that in the NFL as well, getting the most out of guys like Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick, and then he comes here, and it just hasn't been the case. And um, Shea Patterson, I think, might have been his most talented quarterback so far, and at times, I mean, that Notre Dame game, he looked super impressive. But uh, overall, the Jim Harbaugh experience has been a failure, and it's really, it's really annoying, and it's hard at the beginning of the year, it was hard to bite my tongue when so many people were disrespecting Ohio State, putting them at the third best chances to win the Big Ten, with Michigan as the best, and look what's happened. Michigan's lost three games. They lose 56-27 to to Ohio State. Harbaugh falls to 0-5. Michigan's not even going to the Big Ten championship game. They're not even second in their division. Whatever. what, Whatever. Honestly, I'm over it. Um, and then Harbaugh, after the game, when the, a reporter asks a legitimate question, goes out of his way to be an asshole and say, I'll, I'll answer questions but not insults. You are there. Take responsibility for the performance your team had. Answer any question. Answer them respectfully the guy didn't ask the question in a dickhead way or anything like that um and then he harbaugh answer gives his little oh all answer questions aren't insults in such a rude assholey way Uh, it's a terrible look and uh urban meyer made harbaugh his uh his bitch for four years and now ryan day starts it off uh going one and oh and moving harbaugh to oh and five it's just Michigan saying who's got it better than us. Ohio State clearly does, and for this foreseeable foreseeable future, Ohio State is going to continue having it better than you. The next game we need to look at from last week was a bit of a shocker to me. You had Alabama going to Auburn. Alabama at the time was ranked fifth in the country. Auburn was fifteenth. Auburn was able to upset Alabama. Bo Nix on the day. What I said sort of happened. 173 yards, only one touchdown through the air on the ground. Whitlow for Auburn, uh, 114 yards. But Bo Nix was able to run in a touchdown. um, And Auburn was at times able to uh, just pretty much outplay Alabama. And Gus Malzahn... I can't believe I'm saying out coach Nick Saban, and that's crazy. But um, I saw some stat. It's like the rest of the SEC coaches against Nick Saban are like one in twenty six or something like that. With that one being Ed Orgeron this year, and then the Gus Malzahn is three and whatever against him. That's it. Insane. I don't understand how Gus Malzahn can have Nick Saban's number so frequently. I mean, it's extremely weird not to see Alabama anywhere near the college football playoff um, consideration. Um, again, with Alabama this year, going into it, once they lost their linebacker at the beginning of the year to injury, um, the defense had question marks going into the year. They lose him. That's another question mark, and it ultimately came down to be what bit him in the ass they couldn't stop LSU they couldn't stop Auburn the offense even with Mac Jones 
He threw for 335 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, Najee Harris had 146 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Ruggs, 99 yards and a touchdown. And, I mean, he Waddle had a 58-yard touchdown. Waddle had a 12-yard touchdown. Waddle had a 28-yard touchdown. They have so much talent on that team, but they defensively, they just couldn't put it together. And I think ultimately... This serves as like a wake-up call for Alabama that can't just go through the motions and just because you're Alabama doesn't mean things are going to be gifted and handed to you. Um, I saw a couple things on Twitter where people were saying there's a there's going to be a gap between Alabama and Clemson's and the Ohio State's and LSU's for a couple years. I don't think that's going to be the case at all. I think, if anything... This is uh, really just going to wake up Alabama for next year, and I think there's going to be a revenge tour of some sorts, if you will, and Alabama's going to be scary next year. But hats off to Gus Malzahn and the rest of the Auburn Tigers for being able to beat Alabama this past week. And then the last game, really, I want to talk about uh, is another hometown game that I think is kind of bullshit how Louisville is sort of just getting to skate off scotch-free for this. Going into the week, I think both sides expected a close game, which did not happen. I think there were a lot of UofL fans and analysts and people that talk about Louisville a lot more than I do that were predicting a win. Or at least predicting, oh, they'll keep it close. And I think the UK fans were, I'm not going to say worried, but there were some concerns. And if they were picking Kentucky, they weren't picking a route, which is what happened. But they were picking a victory. And I think people that go out of their way and say, oh, Kentucky fans, nobody expected this. Oh, my, show me someone that said this. It doesn't fucking matter. I don't care if you predicted Kentucky to win by a field goal or Kentucky to win by 100 points. You still pick Kentucky. I don't care if you picked Louisville by a point. You still picked Louisville. And you were dead wrong if you picked Louisville. Kentucky was able to win 45-13. to Lyndon Bowden, Bowden completed one pass for four yards. What's he do on the ground, though? 284 yards and four touchdowns. Gee, that's pretty good, I think. Um, also on the ground, Rodriguez, 125 yards and a touchdown. To get all together, Kentucky rushed for 517 yards. That's a team record. That's incredible. And I think Lule fans were so easy. They got a freaking pass. And I think it's bullshit that they got a pass. Back-to-back years, you got your shit handed to you by UK, the supposed basketball school. Louisville is supposed to be this dynamic, balanced, athletic program, which, yes, they're good in basketball, and throughout times in the past decade, they have been a very good to great team, or they've had a great player, a generational player in Lamar Jackson on that team. But the past two years, you have gotten the shit beat out of you by, okay, last year's Kentucky team, yes, a once in 
Some some would say lifetime team for Kentucky with Josh Allen, Benny Snell, and the rest there. This team, though, you have Lynn Bowden, who a quarterback in high school, yes, moves to receiver in college, everything like that, but is beating you on the ground with his feet. And you know that's all they're going to do is run the ball. Kentucky threw the ball twice, and you couldn't stop the run whatsoever. 517 yards on the ground. That's insane. That's ridiculous. And then Louisville now, oh, but we're just so happy because this culture has changed and we won a lot of games. I mean, we, we beat Virginia. Virginia, oh, great. The 8-4 and four Virginia team, they're 8-3 now, but soon to be 8-4 and four after they go get killed by Clemson in the ACC championship game. And the only reason they're there is because the other side of the ACC is so shitty, besides Clemson, everyone else that, okay, an 8-3 and three team, yep, you can make your conference's championship game. Oh, we beat Virginia. Oh, we held close with Notre Dame at the start of the year. That, that was... Really good. That was impressive. Hey, did you see that Boston College game where we barely won that? Oh, did you, did you see that Clemson game? We were picking Trevor Lawrence off left and right, left and right. And they're getting this free pass because the expectations at the start of the year were so freaking low that anything they did was a bonus. I don't want... There are people that said Louisville is going to go to the Orange Bowl. There was a group of people in Louisville supporters that thought and were excited to go to the Orange Bowl after they were on a bit of a roll in the middle of the season. And there were expectations began to set. I understand you're still going to go to a bowl game. From what I've seen, you're playing Navy. If you thought what Kentucky did was bad to you on the ground, I cannot wait to see what Navy would do to you. I... All they do for, I think, over 100 years has been run the read and triple option. And they, I think they run that with Army and what Georgia Tech was the past couple of years. Those three teams better than anybody in the country. I get not many teams run it, but Navy, with how disciplined they are, how physical they are, and given for how long they've done it, I cannot wait to see how many yards you give up on the ground if you were to play Navy. I Probably more than 517. Wouldn't surprise me. And again, I mentioned it earlier on when I was doing the mail sack. Things, thank God that the women's basketball team upset Oregon so you could shift focus a little bit there and then you could say, oh, we're going to have the number one ranked men's and women's college basketball team come Monday. Things shifted pretty quickly to how good that basketball team was after the game on Saturday when there was people picking Louisville to win. Again, I don't care if nobody predicted this blowout, one-sided game to happen. I... People still picked Kentucky to win, and they still picked Louisville to win, obviously, and I don't care if there was such a gap where people were supposed to pick Kentucky by this many points. Louisville straight up got embarrassed. There needs to... Again, they got embarrassed, and they got off too easy. I don't think enough people held, got their feet held to the fire. And then after the game, there's coaches complaining, Scott Satterfield, about the L's down. Louisville does L's up to things, 
and you're in a rivalry game, you don't expect your biggest rival in the entire year to do your hand symbol down. Like, Jesus Christ. That's so just soft. And I don't think it speaks to Scott Satterfield as a coach because I like what he's done this year so far, taking a very just jumbled, sort of talented team to taking them to a bowl when their expectations were so low. But L's down. Like, grow up. You don't want people to do it. Stop them from making big plays. Um, I understand that's probably going to, this rant is probably going to get under some people's skins. I really don't care. Um, Louisville, you got embarrassed. You need to be held more accountable for you all for having all this hope and these expectations and some people picking them over Kentucky. You didn't just lose. You got demolished by one guy pretty much in Lynn Bowden who threw two passes when you knew all we were going to do as Kentucky fans and the Kentucky team was going to run the ball and you still couldn't stop it. That's all there is to talk about this game. Let us now, I apologize after that rant, let's settle down and let's look at conference championship week. On Friday, you have Utah 5th in the country going up against the 13th-ranked Oregon Ducks in the Pac-12 championship game. Utah obviously needs this game to stay alive in the college football playoff rankings. Uh, Huntley for them at quarterback this year has been the definition of game manager making big plays when they need him to and being a great complementary option through the air to Moss on the ground. Huntley on the year... 2,700 yards, 16 touchdowns, only two interceptions. But this offense goes how Moss goes on the ground. 1,200 yards, 15 touchdowns, and their defense has about 6 to 10 to 8, 6, 8, or 10 in there somewhere. Um, Guys on defense that are going to get drafted or at least end up making an NFL roster on the defense side of the ball. Um, Obviously, with Pac-12 teams, you think these, like, Explosive offenses, no defenses, but Utah has really flipped the script on that and is sort of the opposite, which I think is also a big part of why they have success the last couple years, especially this year. Um, Teams have difficulty handling that physicality when they don't really get it that often, and that's what's led Utah to this position in their ranking fifth right now. On the opposite side, Justin Herbert on the year – has 3,100 yards, 31 touchdowns, only five interceptions. And the defense for Oregon is good, sort of exposed a couple weeks ago. Um, So in this game, I was really hoping Oregon was going to still only come into this game with one loss and still have a chance at that college football playoff because I had predicted them to be the four seed at the beginning of the year. I expect Oregon to come out extremely fast. I could see them getting up 14-0, 10-0, 13-0, something like that. But over time, I think Utah is going to really impose their will and inch their way back into this game and take control of the game maybe in the middle of the third or the start of the fourth and really continue to just run the ball, impose their will, and come up with a close game victory. I could see something like a 38-31, 
38-30 game for Utah, something like that, where, yes, there still is a high scoring of the Pac-12, but um, not, I know 38-31 is still, yes, high scoring, but not what you would typically expect at a Pac-12 championship game, but I do think Utah does end up winning this game. Next, you have Baylor and Oklahoma. Uh, Baylor 7th in the country, Oklahoma 6th in the country. Both of these teams still playing for that 4th and final spot in the college football playoff. And I think this game is really not going to be close. I think Oklahoma is going to come out and really just set the tone early in this game and never really let up. I don't think Baylor is a bad team, but I think that 25... 28-3 lead they have, the 25-point lead that they had and they gave up in the game earlier this year against Oklahoma is going to still sort of linger over them and stick in the back of their heads and is going to cause some issues for them. And I think uh, Hurts and the rest of Oklahoma, CeeDee Lamb, potentially Hurts and CeeDee Lamb, the best wide receiver quarterback combination in the entire college football Um, is going to go off in this game and cause a big issue. So I take Oklahoma over Baylor. Um, In the Big Ten championship game, you have Ohio State, one in the country, playing number eight, Wisconsin. Um, This sort of goes for the last game as well, but this game I hold especially true. It's hard to beat the same team twice, and this is not me drawing up any doubt. I think Ohio State does end up getting the victory in this, and I think it will sort of kind of be one-sided like the first game. Um, I'm hoping for more than 38-7. to um, I think the weather sort of hindered what Ohio State offensive-wise was able to do, and they really forced things on the ground with J.K. Dobbins in that game. And Chase Young was a monster in that first game. Three or four sacks, I believe. Um, the strip strip ball that he was able to force as well on the quarterback. That was an extremely important tide-turning play. Um, the weather, obviously it's in a dome. It's in Indy, so the weather will not play a factor in this game. And I think Chase Young has another big game. I think Jonathan Taylor has a better game than what he had the first time around. I think they're going to which I predicted the first time, and they didn't, but maybe this time they'll try and get him involved a little bit more in the passing game and get him out in space and get him better matchups against linebackers like a Tough Borland or a Pete Warner. I shudder at the thought of Tough Borland having to cover Jonathan Taylor out in coverage. My God. Tough would get his lunch eaten. But um, ultimately, I just think Ohio State is the hands-down better team. Could be... Close for a quarter, quarter and a half, and then I think Ohio State does end up pulling away. Um, it is one thing to note that Justin Fields is dealing dealing with an MCL injury. He hurt it in the Penn State game, hurt it, re-injured it again in the Michigan game. Is apparently going to be wearing a big, thick brace that is going to limit his mobility, so don't expect to see a lot of mobility out of Justin Fields in this one. So the offensive line is going to have to do its best job all year of protecting Justin Fields to have time, which they've done a good job all year, really, but at times he has had to move around, make some throws. Um, the first play, when he came back against Michigan and hit Garrett Wilson for his touchdown, he had a slide out and roll out to his left. Um, that will impact the game a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be a 
deciding factor in the game. So I go with Ohio State over Wisconsin um, and expect a big game out of Chase Young once again. And I think um, Jeff Okuda is going to be due for, I don't want to go out and say pick six, but an interception for sure in this game. Next, the SEC championship game, you have Georgia going up against LSU. I, like I said, LSU's defense at times is vulnerable, but Georgia's offense has not been explosive enough to me to take advantage of that. I have LSU in this one, um, I think comfortably. I get Georgia's offensive line is one of the best in the country, but I really just don't care. I don't. I think LSU is hands down the better team, and it's going to really cause a shakeup in the college football playoff rankings for the Final Four. Um, if LSU does end up winning this and Ohio State ends up winning, I think LSU jumps Ohio State, which really kind of fucks Ohio State because they're probably going to play Clemson then. And I don't really even want to speculate or anything like that who would get the fourth spot because right now the committee, I think, values Utah so much more than what Oklahoma does because Oklahoma's been in a lot closer games where they've had to eke things out where I think if I know I said I didn't want to speculate but here I go I'm speculating I would imagine if Oklahoma and um, Utah were able to win and like I said I think Oklahoma's gonna really handle Baylor and I think Utah a seven point win I don't think is struggling but I test wise you would say probably Oklahoma has the better win over Baylor because Baylor's ranked higher and it would be a blowout if things go right. But I think the committee would still put Utah in because of where they sit right now and their loss was without Moss, their best player. Um, That is if both those guys win. And that is if LSU does end up beating Georgia. If Georgia ends up winning, I think you really just go in and you move Clemson up to two, Georgia goes to three, LSU goes to four, Ohio State stays at one. I think that's really how things shake out. Um, Jake Fromm, again, that offense led by him doesn't seem good enough to go and at times attack a vulnerable LSU defense and this is going to be a smash mouth SEC game but ultimately I think LSU does end up getting the win um flipping around now just some more I'll go quickly for the rest of the championship games um the in the ACC Clemson Virginia Clemson's going to win that quite handedly. The Mountain West Championship game, you have Boise State, 19th in the country, going up against Hawaii. I'm going with Boise State in that one. The AAC Conference Championship, you have Cincinnati going up against Memphis. I picked Cincinnati last last two weeks, whatever it was, when they just recently played, and they lost. So I'm going to pick Memphis here, hoping that Cincinnati wins. And then, since everybody loves Maction, oh yeah, Maction. Uh, Miami of Ohio plays Central Michigan. I'm going to go with Miami of Ohio. Now, let's switch focus to the NFL. Um, Huge week in the NFL, week 14. The playoff picture is sort of starting to take shape. 
Um, on Thursday night, you have a huge game with huge playoff implications for both teams, the Cowboys and the Bears. Both of these teams sitting at 6-6. Six and six. I ultimately think that the Cowboys offense is going to be able to go and beat the Bears defense. Uh, the Cowboys defense has looked pretty shaky the last couple weeks, and that could be exactly what the Bears offense, who at times are it's just so bad at times, um, could be what they need to get sparked and get hot for just this week and sort of progress and make a bit of a run at the playoffs. But like I said, I think the offense of the Cowboys is due to get hot, and I get it's a tough team with a great defense to get hot against, but I will take the Cowboys over the Bears at Soldier Field in this one. Next, you have the Bengals coming off their first win of the year, going up against the Browns, coming off... It's not a loss that sealed their fate, but it's going to be really hard to get in the playoffs now for the Browns, um, coming off the loss against the Steelers last week. I think the Browns do end up winning this game. The Bengals are just bad. Um, The Browns have too much talent, I think, and I think that's ultimately what happens in this game. I think the Browns do end up beating the Bengals. Next, you have the Steelers going to the Cardinals. Steelers, like I just mentioned, coming off a big win um, in the AFC North and the wild card picture against the Browns last week and the Cardinals getting destroyed against the Rams. I picked the Cardinals last week, put that one on me. They have now lost five in a row. Um, this could be a sneaky, sneaky game. I can. I think the Cardinals have enough on offense to go out and be able to compete with a lot of teams, but their defense leaves little to be desired. Um, Devlin Hodges is going to get the start again. He has shown that he can go and win games by not turning the ball over and make big throws at times. Um, Last week, connecting with James Washington on a huge touchdown pass that really uh, sealed the game for the Steelers. Uh, If the Steelers' defense can get after Kyler Murray and force him into some bad decisions, which I think is possible. The Steelers are going to be able to win this one, but I am going to go with the Cardinals over the Steelers in this one. It's due, they're due. Pittsburgh's due for a letdown game, and uh, the Cardinals are due for a win. So there you go. Next, you have the Panthers at the Falcons. The Panthers letting go of Riverboat Ron Rivera as head coach. Um... Yeah, I think that's fine. I think that relationship had run its course. I think it was about time that did happen. Um, I think Dan Quinn with the Falcons, that relationship has run its course as well. Um, At some point, whether after the season or before the season ends, he's going to be let go as well. Um, I'm going to go with the Panthers in this one just because they have the better team and their weakness, the run game on defense, not being able to stop anyone at all. Um, The Falcons really don't have an extensive um, dangerous run game so I will go with the Panthers over the Falcons. But the Panthers have done a total 180 um, since Kyle Allen came in and started looking like he could be the answer. The guy after Cam Newton to take over. Christian McCaffrey was up there with the MVP talks and then that team just did a total 180 nosedive right into the ground and uh, finds themselves at 5-7. So, But 
I think they do end up winning this week and beating the Falcons. Next, you have the Ravens going up against the Bills. This game is important for both of these teams. The Ravens, whether they're going to be the first or second seed, if they're going to have home field advantage and get a bye in the playoffs, and the Bills, if they can stay in control of the AFC wild card. Um, I'm going to go with the Ravens in this one. I get the Bills' defense is good, but the Ravens' defense has been extremely good as well these last couple weeks, forcing turnovers and with their ability to get after the quarterback that they've shown recently as well. I think that poses some problems with Josh Allen, and I think there really is right now no answer for Lamar Jackson. And when you have that, and you have a player that is just taking over games at all times, it seems like a no-brainer to me. So I go with the Ravens over the Bills. Next, you have the Redskins at the Packers. Not even going to waste my breath on this one, Packers. Next, you have the Lions at the Vikings. Again, not going to waste my time on this one, the Vikings. Even though, here, I can discuss a little bit about the Vikings. Kirk Cousins goes 0-8 all-time on Monday Night Football, but um, didn't look terrible. Looked competent, made big throws at times on Monday night in Seattle. Um, maybe Kirk Cousins isn't all that bad, even though his like recently his better games have been against the Eagles, whose defense sucks, and the Cowboys, whose defense is not really that great either. That's when he's looked his best in the last couple weeks was against those two teams, but he didn't look terrible on Monday night, which I thought he had a really good chance of doing, but... Um, Lions, Vikings, I go with Vikings. Next, a huge game in the NFC um, for standing purposes. You have the 49ers coming off a very close, hard-fought game against the Ravens. And then they go to New Orleans and face the Saints. It's tough to win in the Dome, but I think the 49ers can do it. Um, That front, defensive front, is going to get after Drew Brees all day. And all game, and I think that is what is going to be the deciding factor. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to make a few big plays through the air and that run game for the 49ers. At times, the backfield is crowded, but they have three guys back there that can one of them's gonna get hot on the day and make a big play here or there. And it's hard to pick which one is that's gonna be, but I think the 49ers do go into New Orleans to get the win. Next, you have the Dolphins going to the Jets. I don't care about this game. Um, I think the Dolphins win, and I think it speaks volumes to what Brian Flores was able to do and is still able to do this year, where the team hasn't given up, and they haven't tanked, and they've played hard. They've been competitive in... Most every game, barring that first game against Lamar to begin the year, they really put Lamar on the map. But besides that, really, um, and I get the Patriot game when Antonio Brown was still on the Patriots. Um, besides those two, they've really been competitive and in just about every game. And I again, I think that speaks volumes to what Brian Flores is building and the culture he's establishing down there in South Beach. So right now, the Dolphins' future seems bleak. Um, right now in this moment, but if they keep him around and they continue to build, that Dolphins could be respectable here in a couple years. So, good on you, Brian Flores and the rest of the Dolphins organization and team. Um, So, for that very reason, I think they do beat the Jets. Next, you have the Colts going to the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are very good against the run. The Colts love to run the ball. It's going to be whoever can really win that battle of the run game. Colts 
effectively running or the Buccaneers stopping the run. Um, that's who's going to win the game. And I think Jameis Winston does it. Bold British here. Jameis Winston doesn't turn the ball over once this game, and the Buccaneers end up getting the win. Next year, the Broncos going to the Texans. The Texas game screams hangover for the Texans after going to New England and getting the victory. So I'm going to take the Broncos over the Texans. The Broncos with Drew Locke, who looked decent through two touchdowns, didn't turn the ball over. If he can replicate that against a Texans defense that is gettable, he gives them a great chance because the defense is still good. The run game with Philip Lindsay and Freeman is still good as well. It's complimentary to what Locke can do. So I'm going to take the Broncos over the Texans. Next, you have the Chargers at the Jaguars. Yeah. Who cares about this game? Like, I get there's fans. Allegedly, there's fans of the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, and I get there's fans of the Jaguars. But uh, I don't care about this game whatsoever. Um Let's go with the Jaguars. Gardner Minshew's back at quarterback. Maybe that could spark a run to the end of the season. Maybe finish 8-8. Eight and eight. Sure, why not? Um, then you have the Titans at the Raiders. Ryan Tannehill for the Titans has looked great since that Chiefs game. Since he came in and took over Marcus Mariota um, a few weeks before that Chiefs game. But the Chiefs game, really, he looked incredible. Was able to go throw for throw with Patrick Mahomes, which, wow. Um, I am a little concerned that their Titans are going to re-sign Dan Hill to a big deal and he's going to go back to his ways. But what I think they could do, what if they move Tannehill back to receiver, they re-sign Marcus Mariota next for next year, and then there you go. there you, It solves your problems right there. A Marcus Mariota to Ryan Tannehill connection. People forget Ryan Tannehill played wide receiver a little bit in college at Texas A&M. Yeah, he did. That could be a connection that we could talk be talking about. Just throwing it out there. Um, and then the Raiders coming off a loss to the Jets last week where they weren't able to do anything. I think Derrick Henry and the Titans are going to go to Oakland and get a win. Next, you have the Chiefs at the Patriots. Tom Brady isn't the problem, but he's not the answer right now in New England. Um... They don't look good on offense. And I get they're 10-2, and two, and that's one of the best records in the NFL. Um, but if they lose this game, it sort of transitions to the three teams and translates to the three teams that pose the biggest threat to the Patriots in the playoffs with them already losing to the Ravens and the Texans. They lose this. You'd have to think they'd play probably one if not two of those teams again in the playoffs um still if you gave me one week one game for a team that needs to win in any matchup give me Brady and Belichick and give me the Patriots obviously I take them but oh this it's hard for me but I'm going to take the Patriots over the Chiefs I think the Patriots defense is going to have a resurgence here in this game they haven't fallen off and they haven't played really Bad. I mean, they did get gashed a few times last week against the Texans, but I think they show up again, show they're good, and I think 
Belichick is going to take away either Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey, one of the two, and that offense really needs both of them to be clicking and rolling like it really wants to, to its full potential, so I'm going to go with the Patriots, and I think there's going to be a heavy dose of Sony Michelle and James White out of the backfield propelling them to a victory. Next, you have the Seahawks and the Rams. I am going to go with the Seahawks in this one. Um, I just don't like what the Rams are right now. The offense is nowhere near as good as it was last year. The defense is very, um, at times, bad. No other real word to say. And I like what Russell Wilson has been doing. A lot of people have been making a issue out of Russell Wilson being mic'd up and how corny and just generic he sounded. I mean, yeah, he sounded generic. He said, like, let's go, come on. All this other bullshit, like, so much. But, like, I don't know what you want out of him. Like, he's pumping up his team. He's encouraging his team. Like, God forbid he he does what a quarterback and a leader should do. So, um, I know that doesn't have anything to translate to this game, but I go with the Seahawks over the Rams. And then on Monday night, you have the Giants going to the Eagles. Um, Eli Manning could be back. Daniel Jones going, dealing with some injuries right now. Something to consider. What a story that would be to be really, that's the final dagger in the Eagles would be Eli Manning come back. Um, don't let Eli get hot. That's all I'm saying. Oh, sure. I'm just going to root for the Giants. I picked the Giants. It, I, it's hard for me to see Eli Manning win probably the last uh, two, two weeks, three, three weeks of his career. So I'm going to go. I'm going to root for the Giants over the Eagles on Monday night. Okay, that wraps up the NFL talk. If you're still listening, I appreciate it. I'm going to go quickly through and talk a little bit about college basketball here. Last night was the first real Super Tuesday on the Big Ten ACC Challenge kicked it off. Um, Michigan fourth in the country after beating North Carolina and Gonzaga last week in the Bahamas. Jumped all the way from unranked to number four. think that was a little too high for them. Um, went to Louisville and lost by 15 and the game was really not even ever that close until the final score. Um, Louisville handled Michigan. I don't think Michigan's the fourth best team by any means. And, uh, I think it pains me to say it, but I think it speaks pretty highly and pretty favorably to Louisville where, yeah, Michigan's a top 25 team. I'm not going to dispute that. They are one of the best 25 teams in the country. Um, Louisville didn't play their best game, and yeah, it was at home, but uh, they comfortably beat a top 25 team by 15, playing probably, I'd say, C+, plus, B-, minus, if I was going to grade Louisville's performance. I mean, Jordan Nora had himself a game. Um how many points did he score? Let me load that real quick. Oh, now we're going to have some issues loading things, of course. Okay, finally load Jordan Nora, 22 points. He was able to contribute 12 rebounds as well. Um, Lamar Kimball, which I mentioned earlier, the um, 
point guard play for Louisville was your leading assist leader with three. Um, but again, a it was two of my least favorite teams playing. I didn't hate watch it. Um, was hoping for the over, but that just couldn't fucking happen now, could it? But again, hats are off to Louisville for beating a top twenty-five team with their C plus B minus um, game by fifteen. Then. Florida State went to Indiana, Florida State 17th in the country, where Indiana shot the lights out. Um, Green for, Devontae Green for Indiana, put up 30 points, um, had a late run in the game. Um, Indiana wins 80-64, and Indiana, I'm not saying they're back, but Archie Miller, they've looked pretty decent so far this year. They are still... Undefeated, sitting at 8-0. and oh, Maybe they could find themselves ranked here pretty soon. Just saying. And then the nightcap, you had Duke, 10th in the country, going to Michigan State, where Duke won by 12, but at times the lead got, I think, ballooned up to 19 and 20 at some point. Michigan State doesn't look like they should have been ranked anywhere near the number one spot that they were given at the beginning of the year. Um, without Cash and Winston on the floor at times, they just look so stagnant and lost with what to do. Um, Tillman for Michigan State was able to put in 20 points, but Vernon Carey for Duke, they had no answer for him all night. 26 points, 11 rebounds. Um, Trey Jones came back and has looked very good defensively and offensively as well. He contributed 12 assists. Yesterday, Cassius Winston had seven assists yesterday to go along with 12 points. Um, Trey Jones had 20 points. Um, Javin Delorier played extremely well for Duke. Um, If they want to go and be successful, they need guys to step up and play and Delorier is a guy that they need and he did everything that was asked of him last night and played extremely well um hurt the freshman only 10 points um four of eight from the field two of three from the three-point line only two rebounds uh Duke was just the better team hands down and I think Michigan State will come in and gel and get better like they always seem to do at the right time come middle late early February going into March that's just what Tom Izzo does but uh right now they don't look good whatsoever um looking at this week in college basketball tonight Ohio State goes to North Carolina um as long as Cole Anthony doesn't go off which he can at any moment whenever he wants he's so gosh darn talented um, but Ohio State has a big man in Caleb Wesson and a deep enough rotation that they could throw a lot of guys and a lot of looks at Cole Anthony and the rest of North Carolina. And at times in the past, Ohio State hasn't really wanted to run. All North Carolina really likes to do is run, but this year's Ohio State team um, can get up and down the court pretty easily, especially with DJ Carton when he's in there. So... I think Ohio State has a good chance of beating North Carolina tonight. Call me shocked. Call me a homer. Whatever you want. Um, They have a good chance, but I think North Carolina does end up winning. Uh, Virginia goes to Purdue. 
Virginia sitting at 7 and 0 on the year, their first big road test so far this year. Purdue sitting at 4 and 3. I don't know why Purdue's favored. Vegas must know something. I don't know. This just screams Virginia in this game, but again, I don't know. Um, Notre Dame goes to Maryland. Maryland sitting at third in the country. They have been exceptional so far this year with Cowan averaging 17 points a game. Jalen Smith, nine rebounds a game. And then Cowan leading the team with pretty much four and a half, almost five assists on the year. I'm going to go with Maryland over Notre Dame in a very good game. Um... Let's continue on. Pittsburgh goes to Louisville on Friday. Pittsburgh's a good team. Could Is that the upset? The Every other number one team's been upset. Could that be it? I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Um, then on Saturday, you have a plethora of wide good games. Um, highlighted by Arizona going to Baylor. Arizona, when Nico Mannion is off the floor, are not good. It's sort of like Michigan State. They lose him, and if he's not having a good game, they have a tough time running their offense and establishing things. Um, Najee for them, though. Um, is shooting 73% on his field goals and averaging 17 points a game. But my God, I bet on them two games in a row in their like tournament last week during Thanksgiving. He gets the ball down low. He's a black hole. He's not passing that thing out. And I'd say one out of every three times, he's going to travel with it. So be aware of that. I'm going to go with Baylor over Arizona. Butler plays Florida. Florida hasn't looked good all year. Butler sitting at 8-0. I'm going to go with Butler in that one. Colorado goes to Kansas. This is a big non-conference game for Kansas. Colorado has looked good so far this year. Sitting at 6-0. Tyler Bay for them. 14 points a game. Also leads them in rebounds. Um careful. Kansas needs to be kind of careful. It's going to be a great matchup between Bay and Azubuki, but I think ultimately being at Kansas is going to help. Um, Sunday, extremely under the radar game. Dayton uh, plays St. Mary's. Go out of your way to watch this. St. Mary's with Jordan Ford and Obi Toppin from Dayton that made a name for himself in the Maui Invitational Tournament. That is going to be an incredible game for both of those guys. Um, just watch it if you can. And then Gonzaga plays Washington. I like Washington in that one, um, especially since it's at Washington. Um, Isaiah Stewart has looked with Carey to be the best freshmen that have come in and are like ready to play. They have looked like the two best guys from this class so far. So I like Washington um, in that one. And then Monday night, not really anything. And Tuesday, we come back with a Super Tuesday. Texas goes to Louisville in the Jimmy V Classic. Uh, Texas Tech um, hasn't looked like they had last year. Obviously, they lost a lot of talent. Um, give Chris Beard some time with this team, and they could get back to being, I don't want to say relevant, and I don't want to say they're going to make a Final Four run again, but they could be coming back to a respectable, dangerous team. Um, and that's that. So, but I do take Louisville over Texas Tech in that one. All right. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Carson Sack Podcast. I really appreciate you doing all that you do, liking, rating, viewing, subscribing, listening, all that, coming up and talking to me about it, everything like that. I had a ton of conversations with people last week on the Wednesday, the night before Thanksgiving at the bars. Um, I means a lot you all coming up and doing that so thank you all um for doing that 
Thank you for tuning in to episode 66 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. I'll be back next week. Try not to look forward to it too much. And as we always end here on the set, we will be listen. First the boys break up. Every day I wake up. Somebody got a problem with hope. What's up, y'all niggas all fed up? Cause I got a little cheddar and my wreck is moving out the store. Spickin' at me, young rappers getting at me. My nigga big, but think that this shit exactly. More money, more problems, gotta move carefully. Cause faggots hate when you gettin' money like athletes. Youngins ice grillin' me. Oh, you not feelin' me fine. It cost you nothing. Pay me no mind. Look, I'm on my grind, cousin. Ain't got time for frontin'. Sensitive thugs, y'all all need hugs. Damn little man, I'm just trying to do me. If the wreck is too mil, I'm just trying to do me.